0: You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. As travel outside of Australia is again a possibility, parents might be planning their first trip overseas with their new baby or child to see friends and family. That means you may be travelling with a two-year-old who's never been on a plane, or maybe you have a newborn. Either way, Mothercraft nurse Chris Minogue has got your back. She's helped hundreds of families get ready for international and interstate flights with their children. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. So it is a bit of a weird thing to get your head around, isn't it? But if somebody had a baby in lockdown... And their family is in Perth or, yeah, or, yeah especially Perth, Perth, but anywhere overseas. They haven't seen them. They haven't seen their family. It might be their first time going home. Um, and I appreciate that there's a big difference between travelling with a newborn and a toddler. Yes. So shall we start with the newborn?
1: Yeah, I think we'll start with, the, you know, that under one
0: You know, before they're moving. All right. So before they're moving, that is is so optimistic. My (laughs) children were walking at nine months. Okay. That was very early. That was very early. And, (laughs) you know, we were all like,
1: yeah, aren't they smart? Damn it. Why can't you keep,
0: just (laughs) crawl? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Put a brick on their back.
0: So um, (laughs) with the under ones, um, is there anything we need to do before the flight in terms of talking to the airline or anything like that?
1: Look, I think um, I've just seen in the last month or so this sort of explosion of everyone wanting to travel. They haven't seen family for such a long time. So not so many I need to go on a holiday, but more I need to see my family and I need to get there now. And I think because we've had this shutdown, no one knows how to move their babies around. They haven't even been down the coast for a weekend. So I try that first. (laughs) For instance, uh, one client I saw uh, about a month ago who was travelling home, taking her baby home, so her baby might have been about nine, ten months old, had sort of hopped in lots of different hops to try and get to where she wanted because she was considering the COVID cases in every stop. So she was trying to avoid countries, obviously, with big high COVID numbers. And in the end, I said, well, that's true. You've done a great job of hopping around the world. But what could have taken you 22 hours now takes you 38 hours.
0: Wow. And
1: that's a lot in a baby. So babies really only cope with two hops. So if I was going from here to to Ireland, I would sort of go through the Middle East because it's one hop from, you know, here to Dubai, Dubai to Dublin. You could go here to Singapore, Singapore to London, London to Dublin, but that third leg does them in. They're just over it by that stage. They're constant moving. So that's one thing to consider. I'd consider the shortest route with the shortest layover. Okay. And then to test it out, I always say to parents, take your child, sit them on your lap for a complete hour and then (laughs) multiply by 24. (laughs) And that's not to scare them, but it's just to give them a sense of what it's going to be like and what do I need to think about in order to do that. And my take-home hack is when you have a child that's under 12 months, the more night flights you do, the better the whole experience will be. And Australia is really good for flying out because there's a lot of flights to Europe that actually go at night, like 9 o'clock at night, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. And so that really works with a family with young children. They have a long day at home, they have a little nap on the way to the airport and then they start their night sleep as they get on that plane and it's going to be much easier. So just sitting down for a moment and considering how we're going to get from point A to point B, then we've got to navigate things that we haven't navigated before, like wearing a mask the whole time as in an adult. So that baby's going to spend the whole time pulling the mask down because they're quite good at pulling the mask down now. So the babies
0: are wearing masks. No, the, the adults' oh, the adult masks they're pulling. And okay. you're
1: wearing a mask from the moment you hit the airport to the moment oh, you hit.
0: Goodness, the plane. I haven't even thought of that. I know
1: there's these tiny little things. The good thing is the aircraft and the procedures around cleanliness and cleaning and all of those two things are at a really heightened state at the moment. So I think you can feel comfortable that the aircraft you're getting on is going to be at its cleanest point and the measures they're putting into place are really going to help you arrive with less chance of getting COVID. Okay. So um, something
0: that I always struggle with, (laughs) it's been so long (laughs) since I've been on a plane, but Uh, You know, you need to really consider what's going to be in your hand luggage. Absolutely. Right? And I'm just curious when, because I know you've travelled with babies as well, um, you might get lucky and your baby might sleep for a long period or whatever.
1: Yeah.
0: So how much of your hand luggage is going to be for them and will you have any hand luggage left for yourself? No. (laughs) No. You should see the look Chris is giving me. Like, are you crazy? Of course no. there's no space for your stuff.
1: So I think this is where we get a little bit lost in um how we travel, how we physically move the baby from point A to point B. So the first thing is usually under twelve months, I'd be putting them in a sling. So they're off the floor, they're up, I can deal with them, such as put a dummy in, hand them a toy. So one of my little hacks is if they're in um like a carrier, a pouch, then I use dummy chains to attach a toy to it so it doesn't drop on the floor and you can just pull it up and give it to the child whether they're facing forward if they're small and little you won't need to do that but if they're sort of in that eight nine months um I just attach toys to it and pull it up I'm I'm not one I have never in all the years I have traveled and that's a lot I have never used a pram right in the airport Uh I only ever use a pouch So everyone goes out and gets this pram and it needs to be up here and it needs to fold and everything. But actually in in the transit, I've never used a pram. I think there's some great travel prams on the market that are great for when you're travelling, as in when you've reached where you're getting, you don't want to be lugging a big pram around. But in the actual arrive at the airport and get off in I don't know where, I've never used a pram. I've only ever used a pouch. So I think sometimes we end up with a lot of things because we need a lot of things. When I'm helping a client to pack, I usually halve whatever they've got. (laughs) (laughs) I just halve it. Yeah. So I have this way of packing. So yes, an extra set of clothes. Um, Things like parents often, the most asked question is how do I make up formula on a plane? because they think they need to take the water. But in actual fact, you can make up a formula bottle using the hot water that's already on the plane and uh, the bottled water to cool it down and then put your formula. So formula scoops so you can put it in. So there's all these little hacks that you can make. So I probably get on a plane with a baby in a pouch and a backpack on my back. And if you can get a segmented backpack, then you probably have got a little space for yourself, but it's little. (laughs) It's not a computer. It's not an iPad. It's literally your wallet, your purse, maybe a T-shirt. Black is a great colour on a flight. So wearing black (laughs) from head to toe, that'll get you there. So it is a lot about the baby and I get it very set up. Like I have a section where um, that's the nappies and all the changing equipment. So I just put my hand in and I pull that out. I'm not searching through things. Never take a wheelie. Because you have to undo it and you have to put it up and put it down. You can't leave it down. So, you know, a backpack, you can actually put it underneath the bassinet and weirdly acts as a bit of a footrest for yourself. So there's all these little things. Where do you change the baby? Uh, so if it's just a wet nappy, I use the bassinet. And the bassinets have changed. Uh, I've got a photo now of what the bassinet And they're more, they used to be material. And on this particular airline, they were actually more like a, um, like a vinyl, like a wipeable surface. Right. Because obviously they're going to have to do that now. But if it's just a wet nappy, I very happily do it in there. But if it's a dirty nappy, I do take them into the bathroom and I use those lovely disposable um, change mats. And so I know that I can use that, then I can throw it away. I don't want to use mine and then put it in my bag and I don't know if it's clean from there. So I just use those disposable change mats And you probably need um, a couple of them and then I just throw them out. So I'm actually unloading things as I fly.
0: Very clever. Very clever. So
1: over eight, nine months, I don't bring any food on. The food that's on the flight will be fine for them. Okay. So I don't bring that. If they're a bit younger and they're having one meal, then obviously those ready-made squeezy packs are going to work really well for that particular reason. So I really consider what I don't need to take on board because the less I take, the better I'm going to travel. If you're pa- travelling with your partner, sure, you could have a backpack for the baby and a backpack for yourselves. And, of course, funny reason, all, all the partners want to bring a computer. <laughs> We're like, what are you doing? Get rid of the computer. So, you know, they, I'm like, put that because that computer has to come out every single time you go through security. Yeah. So you have to consider whatever you pack, some of that has to come out at security. So how many nappies
0: would you take?
1: Well, from here to London, I take eight. I, I don't, love that
0: precise. Eight well, nappies. I've done
1: here to London so often, but I take eight because babies dehydrate. Well, we all dehydrate when we fly. So it's not like they're going to be weaned all over the place. They're actually going to dehydrate. So you don't need as many as you think. Right. Okay? Only take one set of clothing. And if you're going to somewhere where it's cold, if you're leaving from warm, then yes, you'll need a jacket or a cardigan or something like that. Um, I take three sort of toys for them. Um, I take the thing that people have to understand about the bassinet is they're very narrow. So even if you have a baby that hasn't been wrapped before, if they can't keep their arms down into their body, they're not going to sleep for very long in that bassinet. So you might take an extra muslin and just sort of, cozy it around their arms so that they sleep a bit more comfortably in the bassinet. So mm. there's all these sort of little tricks we can do. But yeah, I would lay everything out and then I'd have it.
0: Right. Except if you have eight Except. nappies, keep the eight nappies. Yeah. Speaking of that dehydration though, does yeah. that mean we need to be conscious of how much we're feeding them? We
1: do. So um, when we have say a breastfed baby, a bottle fed baby, we know how much they're having in the bottle. So it's a little bit easier. We can feed them a little bit more. But a breastfed baby, we feed them every three hours. And on the long stretch, say so say you were having a th- 12 or a 13 hour stretch, you can have one period of six hours where we don't have to feed them. But I usually set them up with a couple of quick feeds. So they might have a feed over the first six hours, they might have three feeds in that time. Then they might have a sleep, like for the Five or six hours, and then I start feeding them every three hours. It's really important with the breastfed baby that mum's also dehydrating just as quickly. Mm. So she needs to keep her fluids up to keep that going as well. The bottle fed baby, not as much because we can see how much they have. And I still feed them a bit more frequently, but I don't have to be as conscious about the dehydration that happens when uh, you fly. And, of course, your oxygen level drops a little bit too, so you can often feel tired or um, the babies can feel irritable, like a bit of um, air sickness, but that irritability is usually there because the oxygen level just drops a little bit. What about toddlers? Okay, toddlers are a whole different kettle of fish.
0: (laughs) Because their sleep patterns. I mean, when they're… Well, they don't stand
1: still. No, that is also a problem. So I think you're a very game person to put anything (laughs) from about 14 months to two on a plane for a long period of time. Right. But I've just found this new thing that might help. So uh, my take-home message, if you really need to go home and lots of people really need to go home and they might have, they're obviously going to have babies in this age group Mm -hmm. because of the COVID. So the first thing I'd say is you need to buy them a seat. You really do. If you put a 16-month on your knee, it's just going to end in carnage by the time you get <laughs> off. Because that 16-month-old doesn't sleep on your knee for very long. And when you go to eat, where are they going to be? And when they're going to eat, they're going to be on top of you. So that is the one where I do say hold them for an hour and then multiply that by 20, 24 hours. So I think you really have to consider, again, I would still suggest the night flights because at least if they were asleep, you've got half a chance of that flight going well. So 14 months to to two is difficult and I think you need to know that from the start. It doesn't stop you from going home. It just gets you in the right headspace. But if I could afford to put them on a seat, at least you've got that physical space. But then I found this thing, I know it's in America, but I think everyone should work out how to find it, and it blows up and it sort of fills the gap and it has a footrest, so it's like a little bed. It's called mm. a flyaway.
0: Oh, okay. I think that's have And it these.
1: blows, and it sits on the seat, and then it sort of has a foot pedestal, and it fills the gap. And I think for that age group, they would have somewhere comfortable to sleep. Yes. So I think you really need to think about it, and again, take the shortest possible route. Breaking it up doesn't help, and it doesn't help because – If you fly from here to Singapore, then you need to get out of the airport into a hotel, undress them, redress them and get them back out onto a plane the next day. I think if you're going to terrorise yourself, you might as well just (laughs) go the whole way and hand it over to a grandparent on the end and say, we'll be back in two days' time. (laughs) But the good thing is the food's there. Don't bring food. Simplify it really easily. No snacks for that age
0: group. Sorry? No snacks for that age group?
1: Oh, they have pretty good snacks on the flights. Okay. But uh, I would probably, you know, those little lunch boxes you can get for that age group. I'd probably fill it, but I wouldn't be bringing the food for the whole flight. You have to throw it out anyway. True. So, you know, I think rely on the fact that the airlines do know how to travel with children and they do know how to bring food out to them and they bring it out earlier. So at least you can get one meal down before the next meal's on top of you. But (laughs) I think... You really need to, really need to do it for that age group, which is very different to a two-year-old. A two-year-old knows how to sit on the seat. A two-year-old can use their concentration to watch an episode of Peppa Pig. If you've ever seen a 17-month-old watch an episode of Peppa Pig, they just go Peppa Pig and then they walk away.
0: Right, But I imagine even with a two-year-old, how do you, how do you, Keep them occupied.
1: (laughs) Well, a two-year-old's got the concentration to do things like sticker books. Okay. So my favourite one with a two-year-old is sticking stickers all the way up my arm and then taking them all off and then putting them back in the book (laughs) and then sticking them all the way up my arm again. So they're in that repetitive behaviour where they like to do things over again. So I get that childhood um, nail polish and I let them paint all my fingernails. Then I just take it off and say, oh, look, it's all gone. Do it again. So their concentration to do something is a bit better. They will probably watch an episode of something on the television. Um, They're more likely to go to sleep and stay asleep. Like once they're asleep, they stay asleep. They're not like a toddler who might be still waking overnight. They're not like a baby who wakes a couple of times overnight. So I think with the two-year-old, they have that cognitive development to be able to stand and walk, um, to understand We're getting to the end of the line because that's a long line when you've got a two-year-old.
0: Oh, gosh, yes.
1: And um, what about
0: (laughs) letting them run up and back
1: in the aisle? Up and down the aisle. You'll just annoy the other 400 people. I know I
0: was going to say, but is it good for
1: the kid? So one of my little things that I do tell parents to do is, you know, where the toilet aisle is, Mm -hmm. you know, and often when you have a toddler or that age group, they put you in behind that bulkhead. So sometimes when the plane is really quiet, I get a couple of balls and I just sit at either end of the toilet aisle Yeah. and I just run a ball backwards and forwards for a few minutes. And I don't think people mind that because the child's quiet and they're just moving their body in a different way. I don't think people would really arc up about that. I think they'll be tolerant of that because they'll be more tolerant than that of a screaming child.
0: Oh God, yes. Yeah. What about when you get to the other end and it comes to sleep? Jet lag. Yeah. How do you, I know you have a specific way of looking at. Yeah,
1: that's right. So when you land, I'll take the example of London, but when you land in London, you tend to land in London either early in the morning or at lunchtime into London. And whatever happens on that flight, you have to pick the day up as as the time that you landed. So if you landed at 6 a.m. in the morning, And that child has not slept and then thinks it's going to sleep at 6am, you'll have jet lag for a week and it'll take the full week to get out of it. So wherever you land, at whatever time you land, you have to pick the day up as if you were in Sydney and it was 12 o'clock and it's time for a nap or it's time for dinner at five o'clock. The faster you get them into their normal day routine, the quicker their nights will turn around. But I have a trick with the jet lag. So, you know, you do that. You work your day through to putting them to bed at night at 7 o'clock at night. And then they wake up at 2 in the morning going plane, car, bus, and they're wide awake. I don't fight them. I just get up. I use a two-hour rule on the first night and then put them back to bed and wake them at 7 o'clock in the morning. And then the next night, an hour and a half, wake them at seven o'clock in the morning and so forth until you're just putting them back to sleep by the fourth night and they'll wake up in their natural window. So there's a few tricks to get them back on time really quickly. So the minimum's probably three nights. But if if that child oversleeps in the day, because they're jet lagged and they have four hours sleep, it will take him a week or more to get them out of jet lag.
0: So speaking of that time frame. Yeah. Again, this is something I know you've said to me before. I can't remember the answer, though. If you're travelling somewhere like London, Ireland, yeah. anywhere that's over 14-hour flight yeah. and you have a, a child, under two, let's yeah. say, how long should you stay for?
1: If you break it, Oh, yes. Once you're there. Yeah, once you're there. So I wouldn't do a trip that far into, say, Europe or America under two weeks. Okay. So, and also when you consider, because every, everyone's taking these new babies home, as in under two-year-olds home, no one's seen them. So they think they'll do the quick map of England. So we'll see all the relatives, but the child doesn't cope. So I usually say under twos, you don't move them under a week. So the first place you go to, you stay for a week. The next place you go to, you stay for a week. If you keep changing the environment every couple of days, they'll never, they'll never settle. It'll just be compounded because they need, as you know, with children, they need that consistency. They need to feel that they're safe and secure. So if I keep jumping every three or four days, it's not going to be a holiday. It's going to be not nice, (laughs) not very nice at all. So one week and they need a two-week span to get over the debt lag, enjoy themselves and then come back and then go back into debt lag again
0: excellent piece at least you've shown, given us some really good tips yes to make it more fun than not
1: yeah and I think the thing is you need to do it I think we should all do it but you need to think about it before you do it and then you'll find that it's not as bad as you imagine it could be <laughs> <laughs> well Chris
0: thank you so much for your advice today. that's an
1: absolute pleasure <laughs>
0: that's Mothercraft nurse Chris Minogue